Well, the student at Moody, Moody didn't have the Solheim Center, Hannah, like, like the kids are spoiled with now. We had to go to the YMCA. Hannah's a student at Moody, that's why. So that we had to go to the YMCA to play basketball. And I wanted to play basketball, and so went down to the YMCA. We did some other stuff there. And then there were pickup games going on on the basketball court, and there were these big basketball, they're big basketball-looking people playing basketball like really well all day. And I, and I said to my friend, how do you get in the game? And they go, like, do you want to be in the game? I'm like, yeah, I'll play some basketball. And they go, well, you just go stand along the sidelines. And then and when they play and then they take a break and then they bring the guys in. And so they never did that. These guys are just big, basketball-looking people, very tall, very good at basketball. They just totally ignored me. They would just play. They would take a break, and they would pick other guys. And I would be like, what do you do? You know, like, I'm going to play basketball. I just must not have looked like a basketball player to them. They never invited me into the game. Never want. What do you mean, amen? Who said that? Rich, what in the world? Work with me here. They never. Oh, you're going ahead. You're, you're, you're looking ahead. You're seeing my application already, aren't you? Sure. You're so with me on this. They never invited me into the game. And I wanted to be invited into the game. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just not going there. And, 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 so, and so I was thinking about that this week. And I thought, you know, a lot of people, I gave out uh, 50, almost 60. I invited 60 people to Easter, all right? Um, some of them, like, I gave car, I slipped cards under their mat because they weren't home. A lot of them I talked to them personally. 60 people, okay. Um, and some of those people, you know, a lot of the people, right, they're going to go, yeah, no thanks. I'm not interested. But I wonder uh, in our lives how many of us have people that are just standing there on the sidelines going, man, I would love to get in that game if I would just get invited by somebody. Do you realize how hard it is if you don't get invited to get into a, it seems like a special club and you don't know when you're supposed to kneel or cross yourself or if you're going to have to speak Latin if you come to church, you know, right? But if you say, hey, come with me, sit with me, I would love to have you, we'll be friends, it'll be great, we're going to have breakfast. So I just want to challenge you, and that is don't be discouraged while you're inviting people, because a bunch of them probably will will not come, but there are those that are waiting to get invited into the great game of following Jesus Christ, and I just think, I don't know if you were in the same service I was in today, I could get excited about inviting people to what we did today. I could get real excited about that. And if we have a revival of, of, of satisfied customers in Jesus, we'll, we'll have a, a, a remarkable tipping point, and, we, and only God knows what will happen about people coming to know the Lord. I'm so glad somebody told my family. I'm so glad somebody told me. It's changed my entire life. Take your Bibles open to Revelation chapter 13, and we're going to talk about a hideous evil. Today, doesn't that sound like an exciting topic? A hideous evil. So, in a in an old uh, house in a in a small town in 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 the south, there was a family that had gathered together, and what they were doing is that they were um, they were disposing of the properties. Of, uh, of their great-grandparents had passed away. And so they had their home and their properties, and they were disposing of their properties. And they were up in the attic, and they were, and they were getting rid of the stuff that was stacked up in the attic. Um, and there was a, a, a torn paper sack. This is just a few weeks ago. A torn paper sack 
kind of over in the corner of the attic, and it was filled with trash. A lot of it was like tobacco trash, and a great-granddad had a tobacco habit, and a lot of it was like just tobacco papers and stuff like that. And so one of the family members thought, well, you know, I'll go throw that away. When they got over there to that little torn paper sack, they thought, well, I may, maybe I just better look through it first, just to make sure there's not something with sentimental value here. And sure enough, it was just torn papers and tobacco papers. And, and they dug all the way down to the bottom. And when they got clear to the bottom of the torn paper sack, they found eight baseball cards of an old Detroit Tiger that were 100 years old, and his name was Ty Cobb. And they were worth $12 million. And when I heard that story, I thought, I wish that person was a member of our church. <laughs> because what could we do with... million of a tie. We could go AV. We could renovate the children's ministries. We could hire people for the nursery. We could say, yeah, it would be awesome, wouldn't it? We could put a new parking lot in. What do you think? We could could have a special special remodel of Pastor Stephen's office with maybe Bose sound equipment in there and and all that. I don't know. No, we wouldn't do that, but that would be something, wouldn't it? If you knew you had a treasure like that, a value somewhere in your house, would you exert some effort to dig for it? Well, if you had a brain, you would, right? If you had a brain, listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs about the Bible. Because we're getting, by the way, we're going, we're going into Revelation 13. And if you read ahead, it's like kind of like it has to be decoded, right? You're like, well, there are like, there are like dragons with horns in this passage, right? And there's a, a person that looks like four different kinds of beasts. There are a couple of beasts in the passage, so it would be easy to kind of go, okay, I'm going to give up on this one. I'm going to leave this to the big boys. You know, I'm not going to try to understand this one. It's just too much for me. And so I want you to know that. There is a treasure in the Word of God that is so much more valuable than anything else that you could ever have. This is the way it says in Proverbs chapter 2. My son, if you receive my words, if you treasure my commands, if you incline your ear to wisdom, if you apply your heart to understanding, if you cry out for discernment, if you lift up your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it like hidden treasure. You will understand the fear of the Lord. You will find the knowledge of God, and the Lord gives wisdom. So if you will be a diligent student of the whole word of God, it's like a hidden treasure, and smart people don't throw hidden treasures away. I wanted to challenge you today as we kind of study this because it's going to be a bit challenging. Now, the promises of the Bible about the Bible also are included in Revelation chapter 1. Do you remember this? Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3, there's a promise about the Bible that's attached actually to Revelation. Here's what it says, verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. So if you read it and I read it out loud and you hear it, the blessing is already beginning. And then it says, and who keep those things which are written in it because the time is near. In other words, because this stuff could happen at any time. So there's, there's a shrinking group of people who really believe that. The rest are going to be really surprised. It's our job to make sure they're not surprised. It's our job to invite them to know the Lord. And that's what we so want to do. And so what we have really in this passage is a treasure with a promise attached. And that kind of brings us uh, to chapter, uh, chapter 13. Here's what I want to say. The Bible, God doesn't yield his greatest treasures to people who are just playing right, to triflers. 
What he does is he, he rewards people who search diligently. He rewards people who are hungry. He rewards people who listen carefully when the pastor is preaching. Can I get an amen on that one? Right, That's right. Yes, you were listening. It, he rewards that. He honors that. And who people who dig in the word of God and who do the cross references and who read the commentaries, who are hungry for God, there's a blessing. There's a reward. That's good stuff. Now, what's interesting about the Bible, and it's true about Revelation too, is that if you just take the book of Revelation and you just read it, there are treasures that are laying like sparkling diamonds on the very surface of the book. You don't have to understand it all to understand the big picture. And when you just, if you were to take the Revelation in any reputable uh, version or, and you were to read it this afternoon and just read as far as you want to read, I'm telling you it would warm your heart. Even if you didn't understand all the beast and horns and, and all of that stuff, if you didn't get all the symbolism, I want to tell you that one of the keys to understanding any part of the Bible and one of the keys to understanding the revelation is what I call like the 30,000-foot view, or I often call it the flyover. This is super important. In other words, your basic reading of the Bible is going to yield to you a true and accurate picture of what God has to say. Just a basic reading of the Bible. Even this text, which is going to have two sections, and it's really going to introduce the Antichrist called a beast, and then another beast that's going to be called the false prophet other places in Revelation. That's really all that it is. The first chunk is describing the Antichrist, and the second chunk is describing the false prophet. They're both called beasts here. Um, but, but even in that, where there's, where there's a lot of symbols, it's very symbol-laden and has to be decoded, even in that, the common person who just reads that chapter is going to get the big idea of that chapter. I'll kind of tell you what it is right now. That is, there's, a great, there's a great conflict in the heavenlies that's growing in intensity, and all the players that look good are not good. Some of them are hideously evil. But you won't know that until you get to the end unless you read the Bible. And so if we read the Bible and we understand the Bible, we know how hideous and how horrifying and how demonic and how awful and how cruel Satan is. But if you look just at the things that he offers now, it actually looks kind of attractive. It actually looks like kind of an option. It actually looks kind of religious. It actually looks kind of good. And so the passage, just reading it, you can tell what it's saying is John has a vision on the island of Patmos from God, which he gives to the churches which are passed down to us, that basically says, want you to know what it looks like when you get to the end. When you get to the end, we will expose Satan and his workers as hideously cruel and evil. Be really good for you to know that right now. But only the people who read the Bible really know that right now. So one of the ways to interpret passages like this that are just so full of this kind of thing is just to take the high 20,000, 30,000 foot flyover view. That's number one. I believe that's true about all of the Bible. Here's a second thing in the passage like this, and that is like to decode the symbols. It's obviously symbol-laden, and there are reasons for that, and you want to decode the symbols. In other words, when you look at the passage and you see something that's symbolic, and there are a bunch of them, start right from the beginning in verse 1, the sand and the sea are both symbolic, horns are symbolic, crowns are symbolic, heads are symbolic, the leopard is symbolic. The lion is symbolic. The bear is symbolic. The dragon is, they're all in this chapter. And many of them, there's a near reference. In other words, right in Revelation, maybe right in the very passage, it says, this is this. And then you go, okay, I got that one decoded because it says so right there. Other times, you're going to go just a few chapters away and you go, oh, cool, I see this now. It's decoded here in chapter 17. doesn't say what it is in chapter 13, but if I go to chapter 17, it says what it is. That actually happens today. 
Now, if you don't find it in Revelation, what you want to imagine is, imagine that you're like in the first century church, and John is, is given this letter, and your pastor is reading this letter, like, who are you and what's true about you? Well, what's true about you is you're in this little cluster of people, and some of you are Jewish or some of you are not, but all of you have a regard for the Old Testament scriptures, because that's the only Bible that you have, right? So immediately, if somebody says, hey, there's a beast, and the beast looks like a leopard, looks like a li- bear, looks like a, looks like a lion then if you're sitting in that first century church, your mind immediately is going to go where? Daniel, smart people are saying, Daniel, that's exactly right. If you know your Old Testament, you go, wait a minute, I've seen this beast before. This is in the book of Daniel. And so you go to Daniel, and you get the other information. You go to Ezekiel, you go to Zechariah, you go to Revelation, you put it all together, you got a picture. Now you're going, wait a minute, do I have to go to that much work? Remember the baseball cards? You sure you don't want to look through every little bag? Because there are treasures in there. They're very valuable. The smart people go to the bottom of the bag and they get it all. And that's why we are people of the word. That's why I have a Sunday school at ABF. That's why, by the way, you should not just go to church, but ABF. I'm just saying, we don't make anybody go to ABF here. It's optional. But as a pastor, I'm telling you, and this would be true for everybody I know, it would be good for you to go to ABF because they're digging more in the word in the ABF. I'm just telling, listen to me. I'm, you know, and here's what happens. Like one of our ABF teachers, I had breakfast with him a while ago. And he's a really busy man, and he has a, a big a family, and he's raising his family, and he has a lot of pressure on him. But you know what he told me? He said, while we were having breakfast, he says, he has drive time really early in the morning. And he says, during his drive time early in the morning, he always listens to J. Vernon McGee. Well, you know, if, we're, if you're an old-timer like me, you know that J. Vernon McGee was this, this old guy who he would preach through the whole Bible. He would teach through the whole Bible. And he sounded like kind of aw shucks, like an old, you know, hillbilly farmer guy, whatever. You know, we're going on the Bible bus this morning. Open your Bibles, you know. But he was a brilliant Bible teacher. And so you got people, like the people in our church that are usually the people who are really stable and who are really steady and the ones that, you know, they, they're, they're actually moving toward really having their lives kind of put together because God's helping them. The kind of people who, they listen to my preaching, but they also listen to David Jeremiah or Charles Stanley or they listen to Matt Chandler or, or they listen to, who's your favorite great Bible teacher, John MacArthur or whatever, and because they love the Word. And the more that you love the Word and the more that you study the Word and the more that you kind of get these little pieces is put in place in your mind, the more the Bible makes sense to you. And listen to me, you do not have to be intimidated about revelation. If it doesn't make sense to you yet, there are either one of two reasons. Number one, because you haven't really taken the time to study it and to decode the symbols. Or number two, you're not supposed to know yet. There are a few things, there aren't tons, but there are a few things that are inexplicable right now that even the best scholars will go, well, we're not sure. It could be this, it could be that. I will tell you what's going to happen though. One day, when you've, when you've had that truth spilling over your soul all the time, and you've studied these things, when the time comes, you're going to go, whoa, this is that. This is that. No doubt about it. I know the Bible. This is that. Because I've been reading about that all my life, and now I see. Do you get that? So do you guys see how important it is for you to understand the Bible? Because right here and now, you're going through stuff. God is saying, I'm, as, I'm bigger than any problem you have. I'm bigger than any problem you have. My goodness, he's, in this passage today, which I'm actually going to read in a few minutes, you know, in this passage today, you will see the rise and fall of kingdoms and kings, princes and presidents. He's in charge of all of that. He don't vote in no primaries. He just decides who's in charge. And he can take the good, the bad, and the ugly, thank the Lord, and he can weave his beautiful providence out of that. He's bigger than any problem that you have. Any fear that you have, he's bigger than that. 
Any sadness that you know, he's bigger than that. Any temptation that you face, he's stronger than that. This is the God of the Bible. You want to read about him? All right, yeah, yes, yes, a resounding yes, they said in the church. Revelation chapter 13. Watch these two sections. The first is verses 1 through 10. The second is verses 11 through 18. Then I stood on the sand of the sea. And by the way, verse 13, chapter 13 and verse 1 is actually the same sentence as chapter 13 and verse 17. It's talking about the dragon standing on the sand of the sea. And then I saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads, ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard, his feet were like the feet of a bear, his mouth was like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him his power, his throne, and great authority. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast. You see, the beast and the dragon, they look alike, but they're not the same. Get that? So they worshiped the dragon who gave authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast who is able to make war with him? He has given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he's given authority to continue. And there is that mysterious amount of time again. That's three and a half years. It's expressed different ways, and it just keeps popping up over and over again like it might be important. Forty-two months. Forty-two months. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity will go into captivity. He who kills with a sword must be killed with a sword. Here is the patience and faith of the saints. Now it's going to introduce the second character, actually called a beast, Then I saw another beast. This is the false prophet. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. He exercises all authority of the first beast in his presence and causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes fire come down from heaven on earth in the sight of men. He deceives those who dwell on the earth by those signs, which he is granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. He, is granted power. he was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. He causes all, both small and great, rich, poor, free, and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that by no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Now, is this not a fascinating mysterious passage. And, and it introduces these, these two uh, characters. Let's talk first about the beast from the sea. So the dragon that stands on the seashore and a beast emerges from the sea. And the beast is the Antichrist. He's named and as called that in 1 John 2.18. We use the name Antichrist in 1 John. Other, these are the epistles of the apostle John who wrote this. He's also called in 2 Thessalonians, he's called the man of lawlessness. It's this character that pops up in the Bible a ton. He's a remarkable, powerful, charismatic, 
seems like a really uh, incredibly able to get people to get together, he's going to broker a peace in the Middle East that the whole world is going to sign on to. Can you imagine a person coming now that could broker a peace in the Middle East that the whole entire world, including all the Arab world and the Israeli world and America and all the, the whole world agreed to? And he pulls this off. When he does this, and I'm getting out of the passage just a little bit, he's actually going to allow them to reinstitute worship on the Temple Mount and rebuild a temple on the Temple Mount and have Jewish worship on the Temple Mount. But three and a half years into that, he's going to break that treaty and then all Bedlam is going to break loose. And this is described in the passage that we're talking about here today. And so if you compare this passage and Daniel chapter 7 and passages later in Revelation like 17, you'll see that it represents not just an individual, but this individual that's... Sim- is that, so the, the, the symbols are symbolic of an individual, this beast, but the beast itself is also a, a real person. who's going to come later, but he also symbolizes... Uh, world powers and world leaders. And that's what the images, that's what the symbolism of the crowns and the horns symbolize in Scripture, that these are national powers and these are national entities, political leaders. And again, like I said, readers that are familiar with the Old Testament book of Daniel, they immediately are going to see a connection between this description and the four beasts that Daniel saw emerge out of the sea. And by the way, you want to read that because there are a couple of, there's there's Daniel's dream and Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and Daniel tells what his dream means, and he interprets Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and they kind of parallel one another. And what they really do in Daniel is they actually talk about the rise and fall of nations and kingdoms and leaders of nations in the sequential order like they did historically in two different ways, it is remarkable that in the Word of God, you actually have history told in advance, which is called prophecy. And so people reading this or hearing this letter read are, are, are reminded of what Daniel said, and they got to have the hair on the back of their neck standing up going, this is what Daniel talked about. This is coming to happen. And so then, The beasts are symbolic of kingdoms, and the beast represents cruelty and cunning of all the beasts that came before. So all these kingdoms that were represented by lion, leopard, uh, bear, lion, they kind of lead up to this kingdom and this final kingdom. The final kingdom has the same kind of political dynamic and cruelty of all the other kingdoms put together. Now, to make this really clear, what we're saying, what most of us believe is this. There were these kingdoms that rose and fell in the past. They're connected to the ultimate kingdom that's going to happen. And in the stories like the, re- the interpretation of the dream of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel's explanation of his dream, there are parts, the, the sweet parts, are when the Son of Man comes and takes over all the kingdoms and he ru- rules the entire earth. That's the good part right there. But we're not, we're not there yet, but we're kind of making our way there and we're going to have to make our way through some dangerous territory. And it's really pretty explosive. It's pretty, pretty interesting. And so this includes Egypt and Assyria and Babylon and Medo-Persia and Greece and Rome and then the successors of Rome. And many believe that there will be a revival of that last empire, the Roman Empire, in the end time. And he'll be the head of that. And that's stuff that we'll talk about more. But John Wolvard, who's a, a, a prophecy scholar, is with the Lord now. He wrote, head, the heads represent successive world rulers. The horns represent kings who reign simultaneously during the final phase of the revived Roman Empire. So John is seeing the beast and both its historic and its prophetic characters. And it's kind of interesting because the way John writes it in Revelation, it's chronologically backward. And why is that? Well, the smart rats are going, that's because he's looking back. And anyway, that's a little tidbit I thought I would give you. The Apostle John's looking back into history 
And so the order is reversed. Now you think about that. God is in control of everything. Nations are a big deal. God's in control of them. Kings, and can I say presidents, God is in control of that stuff. I mean, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't vote and all of that. But God is ultimately in control. He's in control of you and all the things that matter to you and whatever it is that you're thinking about right now when you should be listening to me. He's in control of all of that. I know how it is. You know, you're distracted. I'm more distracted than you are. That's why I'm a pastor. It's easy for me to pay attention in church because I'm the one who's talking. Anyway, Dr. Thrasher, who taught me at Moody, he said for a long time he would go to church on Sunday and he'd be all distracted, right? And it would be cold and it wouldn't be that helpful for him. And so he thought, what am I going to do? He's a godly, deeply godly man, very sweet guy. And he said, you know what I decided to do is I decided to, give, to take my needs to church with me. In other words, what he says, on Saturday, I take some time and I think about what are my three greatest needs? What are the three things that burden me the most? What are the three things that I struggle with, that I wrestle with, that make me stay awake at night? What are the three things that make me say, you know, that kind of thing? And he would just think about his own soul. And then he would take those three things and he would go to church. You know what he said? Like the songs would be about those things. And people would say things to him. It would be about those things. And the pastor's message was just about those things. Isn't that powerful? This is why people look at us and we're reading this and we're decoding this ancient book. And they're going, why are you doing that? Don't you know that March Madness? Have you got your bracket filled out? I mean, are you serious? There's serious and important stuff to do, like fill out your bracket. And then we're like, no, you don't understand. There's a bracket that's like going to like, I was going to say Trump, but I'm just going to not use that word. That's going to override all other brackets. That was not a political comment. I'm just getting your attention. If you want political commentary, I'd be happy to give that to you, but not, not here, not now. It's just not the, time. <laughs> it's the time. Come on, laugh with me about that. Pity's sake. You're all back there going, what's I'm going to say? Yeah. So in verse 3, he's dealt a wound. This is interesting because this guy is trying to act like the devil is trying to act like God, right? And the beast is trying to act like a fake Jesus, and the false prophet is trying to act like a fake Holy Spirit. They're impersonating God. When you read about Jesus in Revelation, one of the sweetest things he's called is the lamb that was slain. Every Christian loves that name, the lamb that was slain. Sing me a song about the slain lamb. He died for my sin. He shed his blood. This guy says, I was wounded and I came back. And they either God allows them to do a resurrection or they fake a resurrection, but they, do, they, they, they have signs and wonders to try to deceive, and they will deceive many people. The Bible uses this phrase, those who dwell upon the earth. In the passage, it was in here. Dwellers upon the earth. This is just not anybody who happens to live on the earth during that time. Because there will be tribulation saints, Jews and Gentiles that get saved, you know, after the rapture of the church. There will be saints on earth during that time. But then there will be those with their names written in the Lamb's book of life. It says that in verse 9, I think verse 8. But then there will be those who are dwellers on the earth. This is a special designation for people who are going to be deceived you got to think about this. The people, these might be people with your last name. They might be people that live on your street. They might be your kids, your grandkids, your friends, your loved ones. This is serious business. There, are, there is a demonic warfare going on to try to spiritually deceive people into sucking them into hell forever. That's real. And we are players in that. We get to be a factor in that when we draw, when we witness and so three times John is mentioning this, 
that the beast was wounded and survived. Then there's the worship in verse 4. The world, the world moves from the wonder of the, of the wounded beast reviving to worshiping him, it says that in verse 4. In verses 5 and 6 it says, and this is every place else it talks about him, this is a main feature about him. He is a great orator, but he's a blasphemous orator. And then verses 7 through 10 talk about this war. So somebody said it this way, you have the wonder and the wound and the worship and the words and the war with the earth dwellers. You don't want to pick the wrong God here because it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, uh, it's a life and death matter. In the Bible, it says there will be like a deception, a spiritual deception that kind of sweeps over. It says this in 2 Thessalonians. It says it a lot of other places too. In 2 Thessalonians 8, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. Listen while I read this. And then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord, that's a name for the Antichrist or this beast, the first beast. The lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy in the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they didn't receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion and they will believe a lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. That's just chillingly frightening. These are people that we may know right now. Jesus said it this way, I've come in my Father's name, but you won't receive me, but another will come, and you will receive him in his name. According to verses 9 and 10, some of the saints, these are, again, people saved after the rapture, the church will die by the sword, some will be taken captive. And the wording in verse 10 is a little obtuse, it's a little difficult to decode in a way, but if you, if you will, let me just suggest what it's saying here isn't really that confusing. What it's saying is this. Those who are saints that are living on the earth during that time, God will allow some of them to be taken captive and suffer, and others, God will allow them to die. And they will persevere. The actual phrase there, patience of the saints, is perseverance of the saints. You have a reference to the perseverance of the saints here. And again, a little bit later in the passage, it's critical, it's key. The real saints are not just people who claim to follow Christ, but the ones who faithfully persevere even unto death or suffering. And it may come to that for you, for your grandkids. This is serious. This is why we need to know this. And in the second section, you have the beast that comes out of the earth. And the idea here is that we should beware, that we should prepare, that we should recognize that not all religion is good, that false signs and wonders will deceive many people into deadly loyalty to Satan, especially more and more, it gets more and more intense as the coming of the Lord comes. We need to be more and more intense in our spirituality. What I've noticed in the church at large is the closer that we get to the coming of the Lord, the less we talk about the coming of the Lord. The fewer songs we have about the coming of the Lord, the less preaching we have about the coming of the Lord. But it's got to be sooner than, closer than it was. Shouldn't we talk more about the coming of the Lord? Because it has to be sooner than it was before, just by the very fact of chronology. You have this false prophet in verses 11 through 15. In, in actually chapter 16 and chapter 19 and chapter 20, he's referred to as, the second beast is referred to as the false prophet. And, and hereafter, usually the first beast is called the beast, and the false, this other beast is called the false prophet. And anyway, he, the, the beast, if you will, uh, the lawless one, the first beast that descends here out of the sea or the abyss. And by the way, just to back up, you know, when it says sea, that's kind of confusing sometimes. And I'm tempted right now to teach you something I don't have time to teach you, so I'll do that later. But anyway, um, he comes out of the sea, but later on we see that sea is actually symbolic for the abyss. Remember that? It's the hellhole. 
<laughs> the, the, the hellhole in the earth that demons are coming out of. Not the ultimate hell, but the abyss, right? So this beast comes from the abyss. And, uh, and then uh, the false prophet then, this great, he's a political ruler. The beast is a political ruler. The crowns, the horns are symbolic of political rule. But the false prophet is a religious ruler. And that's how it always works, right? There's a religious component. You know, people nowadays with all the elections and everything, you know, and I was witnessing to, to a guy the other day, and he's going, keep God totally out of government. I'm like, that would be a really bad idea. That Most Americans, they think like that. No, God in government. But you better pray God is in government. You better plead for God to be involved in government. Otherwise, it's going to be chaos. It's going to be anarchy. It's going to be death. It's going to, be, it's going to look like this. It's going to be hideous. Yeah. No, we want God we want God to rule, but our nation's, you know, turning its back on God, covenantally ruling against God, and they'll have a false religion that always comes up. Man is innately religious, and so there's this false prophet. There is this satanic trinity, the beast and the devil, the beast and the false prophet. And it is interesting that in ch- chapter uh, 13 and verse 14, there's a reference there. It's not super clear in verse 14, but when you Compare the scriptures together, you realize that verse 14 where it says, He deceives those who dwell on the earth by signs, which he has granted to do in the sight of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was wounded by the sword and lived. And this image is actually set up, guess where? They're going to set, in other words, the beast has brokered a peace deal that's allowed them to rebuild the temple and reinstitute Jewish systems. And then when he breaks the system, there's going to be what? Daniel called the abomination that desolates. And Jesus repeated it. Jesus Christ, our Savior, in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, repeated, he said, the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. Daniel was no mythical figure that they came up with after Jesus. Jesus talked about Daniel. And he said, he confirmed what what Daniel said. He's going to set up an image, and then the image is going to be demonically animated. It's going to be an abomination. That's going to be in the temple. And that's going to bring desolation. That's what verse 14 is talking about. Very interesting stuff. And so you come down to the mark of the beast. And Satan knows that unprincipled, ungenerate men will choose their own personal gain over what's right. You see that all the time. Even when people talk about who they're voting for. I was talking to a guy yesterday. And he says to me, I don't really care who I'm voting for. What I care about at my age is my portfolio. And I'm like, you might want to care about more than your portfolio because it's going away eventually anyway. But I didn't say it quite like that. I just said, well, you ought to come hear me preach on Easter. That's what I said. <laughs> so, kind of sneaky, wasn't it? Um, so, but there, you understand what's going on here. When, when, when it gets down there uh, and it says you have to receive the mark, you realize that most of us like to kind of stay neutral as long as we can, right? You're just kind of like, well, I, I just, that's, except knuckleheads, they just jump into trouble all the time. But, but, you know, people that are wise, they try to stay neutral as long as they can. What the Bible is saying is kind of simple, and that is there's going to come a time when neutrality is not going to be an option. You're going to be forced to pick, to choose. And it's like if you want to eat, you're going to take a mark. However that works, the, the Bible isn't explicit about that. You can let your imagination run wild there. But there is going to be a mark. This is a mark. That's what it says in verse 18. And then there is this, the number of, of the beast. 666, you probably wonder what's, what's that all about. Well, it's easy to kind of freak out and get really um, superstitious about that 666. Are you? How many of you are superstitious about 666? Raise your hand. Don't do that. Okay, let me help you here. Pastor Lounsborough's license plate is 666. I'm serious. 6668, actually, but it's working for me, you know. He's a pastor. Should we, like, keep an eye on him? 
I'm serious. He's leading our worship, and his license plate number is 666. That's, that's troubling, right? Well, of course not, because that's superstition. You know, it's all good. The, the man loves Jesus. It's clear. You can tell by his life. You can tell by his doctrine. You can tell by his life. License plate, that's a little weird, you know. But, but nonetheless, that doesn't make him <laughs> the Antichrist. Some of you got, you got your phone out right now. You're trying to say, Hillary, does this work? You know, right? You are. Go ahead. You can laugh at that. We're in church. The rest of you are like Trump. That's it. It's the, it's the numerical system. Come on, people. It's going to be a long, long time from here to November if you can't laugh at yourself a little bit. Okay? Do you remember what I said? Jesus is in control of everything. Kingdoms and kings. All right? But people have, you know, you say, well, why is he kidding about that? Christians have done that for years. Put, plugged in different names of nefarious characters that they don't like into the. Don't do that. Here's what, here's what the, the Bible does teach. That like in, in the, or we know in history that, that in Hebrew and in Greek and in Latin, there are numeric equivalents for uh, letters. Letters with numeric equivalents. And so this is, there's a thing that, that's a, they do that. And so that, that's, that's not uncommon to find out the, a name based on a number. Now, in the Bible, the, the, number of, the number seven is spread throughout the book of Revelation. It is the number of perfection, of a completion. The number six falls short of that. This is a man who's acting like God. Verse 18 says he's saying he's God, but he's a what? Man. The Bible says that. The number seven is God's number. The number six is man's number. This is just not God. He's a profoundly remarkable, powerful, charismatic, demon-possessed man, but he is a man. He's not God. You say, well, there, there must be something more than that. I, I think there really is. And I think you should know your Bible really well so that you can tell people that you know when they miss the rapture so they can identify what that mark is because that's the time when people will really know. Other than that, it's just like putting Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton's and Bernie Sanders' name in your phone and trying to make it work. Maybe the best way to understand the number is the way that I just described it to you. Let me make some applications because you don't like my humor about the presidential thing. So I thought more of you than that, but let's see if we can. But, but uh, let me uh, show you some applications that, that I would suggest are like five responses if we looked at that passage. First of all, oh, I don't think I have my, did I pass it? Okay, well, I'll just tell you and you will write them down. Or else, can you, do, yeah, very good. First of all, what should you do? Well, you should be gone, number one. In other words, you shouldn't be in the tribulation. Be gone, okay? Make sure you know the Lord. And if we're right about this, and I think that we are, we're not going to be here. The church is in this, and we're going to be raptured, and we're going to be with the Lord. And, and as a matter of fact, you notice the blasphemy uh, when you see ver- verse 6. He opens his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. I actually think that's where we're going to be right there. But, but so I would just say, number one, be gone. Arrange not to be here. And think about it like back when, when Noah was here and God said, you build an ark and you get people on that ark because there's going to be a worldwide flood and they're all going to die who are not on the ark. So build, he says, build an ark and get people on that. And what was one of Noah's number one priorities to get on that ark was his family. Can I just say that to you? Miss this thing. And gather everybody you love and care about and see to it they miss the tribulation too. This chapter is a clear warning to be wise. I mean, if nothing else, if you don't understand any of the rest of this, you can look at this and go, I don't think I want to be here during this time, right? 
I think I want to miss this. I think I'd rather be worshiping God in the glory of heaven in the, and, than to be here. So I would say be gone. Number two, be tough. Though we will not endure the tribulation, we will face tribulation. Third, be discerning. Verse uh, 9 says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. That's a special phrase meaning, do you have spiritual discernment? I can tell a lot about people by actually how they even listen to a message. Because people that are spiritually, which you guys are doing really well right now, uh, they go, uh, you know, and they come week after week, uh, t- talk to me. I want to hear the word. I want to hear the word taught. I'm a, I have an ear to hear. God, if you got something to tell me, say it. That's what we should all be saying. So I would say be gone, be tough, be discerning, or listen and understand. Look at verse 18. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. And in that time, you're going to want, and this is true here now too. We want to be savvy, informed, biblically solid students of the Bible. And then I would say, there are five of these, be aware, be aware, be aware of how hideous and how evil and how ugly and how cruel all of Satan's plans are. It isn't a game. It isn't a cartoon. It isn't a myth. It's horrifying. Be aware of that. Malcolm Muggeridge was a great um, uh, journalist who became a, 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 a really sincere Christian follower of Christ. But before that, he was on an ass- a writing assignment in India as a young man. And one night, he went out to swim in the river, and he noticed a beautiful woman bathing on the other side of the river. And a moment of the weakness of the flesh, he thought maybe if he swam over to her, he could carry on an illicit sexual liaison with her. And so he started to swim across the river, knowing that he shouldn't do that, to this beautiful young woman on the other side of the river. He writes about it, interesting, and he, I'll just read it to you the way he wrote it. When I was just two or three feet away from her, I emerged from the water. Any emotion that may have gripped me paled to insignificance compared to what I saw. Because when I got over to her, I realized she was old and hideous and her skin was wrinkled. And worst of all, she was a leopard. And she, she just grinned at me, showing a toothless smile. In the end, we're going to see the ugliness of evil. In the end, the things that tempted us will be horrified by them. In the end, that's what this passage is saying. You get it? In the end, we will see how foolish and how ignorant the wise and scholarly of our age were. In the end, we'll see how empty the world's promises are. In the end, we'll see that Satan was cruel, and he meant cruelty to everything that he controls. We're going to know, but those who know our Bibles, we know our enemy, we know his tactics, we know his weapons, we know his plans, we know his, the, the, the way he, we know what he's doing because the Bible says what he's doing. We know our allies and our friends, and we know our commander, amen? We know our commander, And we're committed to him. We're devoted to him. We love him. We're loyal to him. A young man was at a crossroads of his life the other day. And he called me. And he had a major decision to make about what he should do about his life. And he's young and he's trying to figure out who he really is. So I asked him this question. I said, well, tell me what's on your night table. I actually knew the answer to the question. But I said, what's on your night table? Tell me the names of the books on your night table. And I knew this young man. I knew that. There were two kinds of books. And I mentioned that when Wes is visiting with his new wife, Dylan. Welcome, by the way. Um, and I mentioned that last night in the home. You know what Dylan said? She said, Wes and I, when we got married, we made a decision that we're going to have our Bibles on our nightstand every night. Friend, that's what I'm telling you. A person with a Bible on their nightstand that goes to sleep 
where the word of God on their heart and wakes up where the word of God on their heart is going to be safe in very dangerous times that are coming. A person with the word of God that's informed by the word of God, who believes the word of God, obeys the word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit, that person can face any problem that the devil gives to them. And so I would say this final thing, and that is be aware and be active. Seek the kingdom, his righteousness. Get in the game. Take a side. Work for the Lord. I'm serious. Sign up to help in the nursery. Do you realize what's going on in our church? Our church, I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but our church has the most beautiful infants of any of the area churches. The other kids in the other churches are very ugly, but our church has beautiful infants. And our church, if you would love infants and you would like to, to cuddle and hold and sing a song to a beautiful infant, all you have to do is pass a rigorous screening and sign up for our nursery. And there are a few positions available still. If you'd like to work with children and actually teach them these things about God, do you ever take a little person? I got to do this with Kira, our granddaughter who's here. And, and we were talking with Kira about Easter. And we were talking about what Easter is all about. And I was going over the wonderful story about Easter with her. And I just thought, you know, what a fun thing it is to tell a little child the story of Jesus. Do you know that you could do that here if you pass rigorous screening and you get some training? You could be a teacher in our church. You can just hear me talk about it. Or you could go off and you could teach... There are places, if you wanted to, you could take, we've got three buses, we don't use them all. So if you wanted to, you could go and you could call on people and ask them to get on the bus and bring kids to, to hear about Jesus. If you wanted to, you could come and help us paint something, clean something. And you are so in the game then. On Saturday, we're going to go out, we're going to do a blitz, and we're just going to pass out a thousand cards to invite people to Easter. We're going to meet here at the church at 930, we'll be done by noon, pass out a thousand cards. Pray for us if you're not coming. If you want to come and help us, that'd be great. But if you do that, you are in the game. I was in a neighborhood the other day, just walking through the neighborhood, and I'm thinking, this doesn't work that well, just, you know, cold calling and inviting people. I thought, I'm just going to go to the neighborhood, tell people, please come hear about Jesus. And I gave out these cards, and I thought, well, if nothing else, I'm out here praying for these people. Right? If nothing else, hey, if you invite a whole bunch of people and they don't come and you pray, that's okay. God is the Lord of the harvest. He will take care of that. But I would say this. In the light of these passages, I would say be active, get in the game, serve the Lord, get involved, pray, love, <laughs> invite, get good at gospel conversation. You don't have to be church stuff. It can be just your life, where you live, where you work, who you talk to. There are people here in the service, a number of people that are right now that are listening to me, and here's why. The only connection that they had with this church is they work with somebody who goes to this church. And the somebody who works with them that goes to our church, instead of talking about other stuff, just kind of said good things about the church. And, and you're here today because of that. How powerful and how wonderful is that? You can, you can get in the game. I'm gonna add, we're going to sing a song. And then one of our men is going to come and he's going to close in prayer. Stand with us. And let's just sing together. And then we're going to have a closing prayer. One of our men, Chris Wallace, will come and pray.